You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Well, last week in, in, the, in chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, we got front row seats as Jesus takes his disciples on an unexpected journey into what was regarded as unclean, defiled, enemy territory. And Jesus was proving to the Pharisees and to the scribes, and he was teaching his disciples firsthand that it's not what's outside that defiles us, it's what's inside. As Jesus goes to the Gentiles, he takes his disciples along, and they discover that, that, that the gospel loves the world, not boundaries. That the gospel seeks desperation, not status. That the gospel responds to faith, not privilege. Now in our text today, what we're going to see in that theme and all the more as we look at this journey of Jesus into this unexpected territory is that this this journey into this Gentile world is not as unexpected as we might think. As we see that the Old Testament scriptures speak about uh, Jesus and, and a coming Messiah being a light to the world. As the Abrahamic promises uh, talk about uh, through them that they will bless the world. We see that Jesus is at the very center of that. He both fulfills and foreshadows glorious promises of everlasting joy for the whole world. Let's look at the text. Mark chapter 7 verses 31 to 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha. That is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is open before us. We thank you that you have written a book to your people by your spirit. You have written a book through men. You have collected the scriptures. You have divinely put them together. You have preserved them over the generations. And we have your sufficient, inerrant truth before us. And we thank you for that. Lord, we want to be a people about your word. We want to be a people about your word and your spirit. As your spirit has written your word, we pray that your spirit also uses your word to renew our, our, our minds, to transform our hearts, and to change our living so that we would be living sacrifices of the king. Lord, we thank you for this morning on this Lord's Day that we get to worship you again. This is a privilege It is a privilege to come and to gather and to sit as the redeemed, those who you have ransomed, those who you have purchased by your blood. And Lord, today would you speak to us, teach us clearly from your word, further transform us into your image. Lord, we pray this in the powerful name 
of King Jesus. Amen. Well, at first glance, when you look at this text and the story of this healing, as you might just think, well, this is just another healing. This is just another story of a miracle in the life of Jesus. You may be thinking, okay, I get it. Jesus is a miracle worker, right? He is God. He is good. I get it. But why do we have to keep hearing this over and over and over? And why is Mark continually writing these occurrences as as he's hearing them from Peter? All these stories, all of these miracles, all of these healings. Well, if we read this merely on the surface level, yes, it is another healing story. And on its own, it has much to teach us on the surface level. But when you drill down deep, when you study the historical, grammatical, canonical, scriptural context, there's more to be seen here. Yes, a a deaf man, a a speech-impaired man gets miraculously healed, as we just read. But remember, whenever Jesus heals somebody in the gospel, it always speaks of so much more. It always speaks of a greater gospel reality. And we're going to see that here today. And the first greater gospel reality is this. Lost worshipers will be found. Lost worshipers will be found. Verse 31. Then he, Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So as we see Jesus here leaving Tyre, where he just healed the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. You remember that from last week? We see that he doesn't, they don't run and return back to Jewish territory. They don't just take kind of a quick dip into the border and back and get out safely. No, Jesus presses deeper into that evil Gentile world. Why? Well, we have to remember that Jesus is always teaching his disciples. He's training them. And he's immersing his men with hands-on apprenticeship among the heathen. And so we see here that they're going from Tyre to Sidon. I've got a map there. And then to the Decapolis. So you can see we started at Capernaum. And he heals the woman at, or heals the woman's daughter at Tyre, or or in the region of Tyre. And then he goes north to Sidon. And then he comes back down on the green line, goes across the top, and back around this side to the Decapolis. He's training his disciples. He's teaching them by modeling them that you need to rub shoulders with the heathen. He's teaching them not to be afraid of them. He's he's taking them on an extended journey with his disciples, and they're ministering to the needy. And with that, they're always preaching the gospel. And he's showing them the passion that they need to have for these desperate people. Why? Because he's preparing them for the mission that is going to be coming their way. This mission is going to be coming just in a few, just in a, just in a matter of a year. Remember, these, these are his disciples. They are his apostles. They are the, the foundation of the church. And they're going to go to the, to the ends of the known world with the gospel. And so he's taking them on this extended, immersive journey through the Greek pagan world. And that whole trek behind me there is about 200 kilometers on foot in total. So for those fit bidders out there, you can tell me after how many steps that would take and how long that would take to do that. 
But the truth here is that this is not a small journey. This could have lasted weeks and maybe a month, depending on how much time they spend in these towns. Now, they end up in the Decapolis. The Decapolis, uh, by nature of its name, means ten cities. It was a league of, of ten Hellenistic cities, which were established around 4 B.C., If you remember uh, from your high school history, Alexander the Great conquered the area. And wherever the Greeks would conquer an area, they would bring uh, their culture, which means that they were Hellenizing their culture, bringing their architecture, bringing their pagan practices to those places. And one of those practices was the Greek worship of mythical gods, the, the pantheon of Greek gods. Now, as archaeologists have studied this area in recent years, they've affirmed through digging up these sites that this was home to much Greek pagan worship. They've dug up hundreds of idols and statues of Zeus and Epaphrodite and Dionysus. They found coins with images of gods and goddesses such as Heracles and Athena. So what we're seeing here proved through the historical context and what we're discovering today is that this place was a Greek pagan place and they were worshipers. They were worshipers. These were worshipers who needed redirection. The people in the region were excellent worshipers. But the problem was is that their worship was misplaced unto false gods. And so Jesus intentionally takes his disciples and goes to those lost worshipers because lost worshipers will be found. One of my favorite quotes about global missions comes from John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And he defines the purpose of missions this way. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason we have to go to the nations is because they're not worshiping the true and living God. I think you could also say it this way. Missions exist because worship does. You know what I mean? Our neighbors, our coworkers, our families, the nations around the world, they're not void to worship. They're excellent worshipers. But they're worshiping all the wrong things. We went for dinner the other night to our favorite a Vietnamese restaurant, and as you walk in the door, there's a, a little idol on the floor, and there's offerings put out before him. That's worship. We have Mormon family that, that live in Cardston, Alberta. They want to live as close as they can to the, the second oldest Mormon temple that has ever been built. Every Friday afternoon in front of our house, hundreds of cars uh, park in front of our house as the Muslims go for their Friday afternoon prayers, praying to their false god. Right now they're planning on building a massive mosque in South Calgary. And so the problem is not just that humanity loves itself. It's not just that we love sin. The problem with humanity is that we love to worship. And we will worship, but it's false, and it's misplaced, and it's leading the world to destruction. Brothers and sisters, we were designed by God to be worshipers. 
That's why we worship. And like the pagan Greeks in Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis, they're lost in their worship. And our world is lost in their worship. And they will be lost if we don't bring the good news of right worship, the only one to worship. When God gave his commands, ten commands to his people in Exodus 20, he said in Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, don't think of jealous in the sense of a child just dying for the praise of somebody else. That's not what he means. He's jealous for what is rightfully his. He is the only true and living God. Not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. And also of you and me. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, the whole world, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Verse 12, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their host. God didn't create us to worship whatever we want. He created us to be worshipers of him. To be worshipers of him and all of his power and all of his majesty and all of his mercy and all of his grace and all of his love. And yet the world, and yet we do sometimes, we don't worship him. We reject him in all of our lostness. And we choose to worship idols. We choose to worship demons. We choose to worship false gods. We choose to worship ourselves. Why? Because we're lost. The world is lost. They don't know who or what to worship. And so they worship anything and everything. Remember when Jesus confronts the Samaritan woman at the well. What does he say to her in John 4, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And so the question we must ask ourselves, on top of our command to go and make disciples, and on top of the love that we need to have for the lost, on top of all of that is, are we jealous for the misplaced worship that is due the Lord? So when we see the world worshiping idols, when we see the world worshiping creatures and ancestors and saints and self and sin, does it break our hearts Not only because they're so lost and their destiny is so destructive, but what about the misplaced worship that is not going to the face of the only true and living God? That has to be a part, a major part of our motivation in our mission, in our life. As Jesus goes with his disciples 
on this extended journey into this lost worshiping world. He's giving his disciples and he's giving us a taste of our calling to be going to the lost, to be going to the lost worshipers because they need to be found. And as they go, and as they are finding lost worshipers, what else do they need? What else do they need? Verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. What we see here is that not only do they need to be found, deaf ears need to hear. Deaf ears will hear. So as as Christ's fame preceded him in this Gentile territory, some people end up bringing to Jesus this man who is unable to hear and unable to speak. And they beg and they implore Jesus to just come and lay his hand on him. Whatever condition this this man had that caused this deafness and muteness uh, had no remedy. Their pagan practices would have been been tried. Nothing would have healed this man. And he would have been ostracized by the community. He would have been regarded as a burden on society and cast aside. But instead of rejecting him, Jesus mercifully receives him. He's compassionate toward him in his suffering. He doesn't cast him aside. But he stops what he's doing. He stops his journey and he gives him full attention. Verse 33 says that he takes him aside from the crowd privately. We see here that Jesus isn't about the show. He takes himself away all by himself. And in doing this, he's he's serving him out of love. He's showing this needy man that he's not a problem. That he has value in the eyes of God. He takes the time, he makes the time, and he cares for him. And he gives him his undivided attention. This is how compassionate the Lord is towards us. This is how compassionate he is towards you as well. In the time of your greatest need, Jesus is so kind. He is so merciful. He's never too busy for you. Your needs matter to him. He loves you and he loves to care for you. We can't forget that. You may think at times that you're a bother to God. Anybody ever think that? You may think that you're too needy. You may think that God must be tired of me by now tired of my condition, tired of my complaining. You're never too needy for him. He always wants to care for you. May this be how we also approach each other. May this be how we approach the lost as well. You know, I have to confess when people ask me how my week has been or whatever, I often say, yeah, I was busy. And sometimes that can come across as, I don't have time for you. 
And I don't want it to be that way, right? So if you've ever felt that from me, that's, that's not what I'm trying to communicate. Yes, life and ministry is busy. You're busy. You're working. We're all busy. But by example of the Lord here, we need to be communicating to each other that we love each other enough to stop what we're doing and to take the time to care for each other, to give each other undivided attention, to show each other that we love each other, that we would stop that we would look at our life and see how busy we are and that we would choose to make it less busy. That we would choose to create enough margin in our lives so that we can show each other mercy and love and also the world. Remember, the disciples were watching him. They were observing this, even though they are by, him, by themselves. They, they seen this take place. They see what Jesus is doing. They see that he is going to minister to this deaf and mute man all by himself. And then we see this interesting fact here. Jesus puts his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Just imagine that. Just imagine Jesus taking this man aside putting him squarely in front of him and looking at him in the eyes and sticking his fingers into his own ears. And then he spits and he touches his tongue. Without words, Jesus is communicating to this man that he knows that he is deaf, that he knows that his tongue needs to be released. It's kind of a sign language he's doing here to communicate to him because he can't hear. And he can't speak. Jesus is preparing him for his healing. He's telling him to get ready. And then Jesus looks up to heaven to the Father. And he sighs, groans. And then he says in, in the common language, Aramaic, he says to him, Ephaphtha, which means be opened. Verse 35, his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. This man was immediately healed. Just think about it. He could hear for the very first time. And on top of that, he can also speak perfectly and plainly for the very first time in his life. Just imagine if you were him. You ever watch those YouTube videos about uh, babies who are born deaf and they end up giving them uh, a hearing aid of, of sorts. And they turn that hearing aid on for the first time and the baby's looking at mom and, and hears his mom's voice for the first time. Have you ever seen that? You see how their head snaps back and their eyes light up and they start giggling and, and laughing. They can hear the voice of their parent. The voice of this, this man was, was, was plain, meaning that it was complete as well. You have to learn to speak. And if he, was, if he was deaf his whole life and mute, this miracle was instantaneous and it was complete. That's how Jesus heals. It's always complete and perfect. And then just think about this. The very first voice that this man hears is not his parents' voice. The very first voice he hears is the voice of the Lord of the universe. 
And then he would hear his own voice next. Whatever impediment he had was completely healed. The Greek here gives a kind of a connotation of the breaking of chains with his tongue. That his tongue was was under bondage and Jesus breaks the chains. What a miracle. What a savior. So in plain reading, we see that this is an amazing miracle in and of itself, but there's more that we need to see right here. Mark is showing us more. The Greek word that you see in your Bible there for speech impediment is mogalalos. Mogalalos. It's only used twice in all of Scripture. It's used here in Mark, and it's also used in Isaiah 35. Verse 6. Let's turn there quick together. Isaiah 35, verse 6. And this is really cool. Now the prophet Isaiah lived some 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. And just previous to chapter 35 in Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah was pronouncing coming judgment coming judgment on Edom, on Egypt, on Tyre, on Israel, and Jerusalem. But then in chapter 35, his focus shifts. His focus turns from coming judgment to coming salvation in the coming Messiah. Coming salvation, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Isaiah 35, verses 1 to 6. We read this this morning. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the Mogalalos, the tongue of the mute, sing for joy. Mark is showing his readers, and he's showing us that Jesus is the long-awaited, promised Messiah. But he's not just the Messiah to the Jews. He's also the Messiah to the Gentiles. As Isaiah says here, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert will blossom with new life and rejoice. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. Where has Jesus been on this extended journey with his disciples? Tyre and Sidon. Lebanon. This land of defiled Greeks and these people that are there are going to hear the good news and they're going to be saved. Verse 35. They shall see the glory of the Lord. And that day is here with the arrival of Jesus Christ in their land. 
Jesus is the glory of God that is walking among them in this defiled territory. And they get to see the majesty of God in Jesus Christ. And verse 4 says, he will come to save you. Jesus has come to save them. Now he's come to save them. Yes, he's taken his disciples into this land, right? And this has been a long-awaited promise. And this has been inaugurated in his life, and it will be completed in his return in the millennial kingdom. He will come to save you. And then verse uh, 5, and the ears of the deaf are unstopped. That's what we're seeing here very clearly, very plainly. Verse 6 at the bottom, the tongue of the mogalalos, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. You know, Mark, if you've noticed in Mark, he doesn't quote a lot of Old Testament scripture. But what he's alluding to here is mind-blowing. He doesn't talk a lot about prophecy, but we see it in his authorship as the Holy Spirit is writing through him. He alludes that Isaiah 33 is all about this Jesus who has arrived in this defiled territory, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the Messiah also to the Gentiles, which means he's our Messiah. Brothers and sisters, before coming to salvation in Jesus Christ, we were all spiritually deaf. We were all spiritually mute. We were listening to lies. We were unable to hear the truth. We didn't know the voice of Christ. We were unable to speak the truth. We were lost in the worship of ourselves and the idols of this world. We were defiled. We were unclean. We were unable to come to God on our own. That's why he came. That's why he came to our defiled planet. He sought us out. He crosses the border. He comes into our evil territory. He finds us in our desperate state. He pulls us aside from the crowd and he personally speaks salvation to you. The salvation of his cross. That he took the nails in his hands and in his feet and that he sighed and that he groaned over the weight of your sin. And in love, he looks to the Father on your behalf and he cries out, be opened. And our ears are opened as his ears are deafened in death. So we can hear the truth. So we can hear the gospel. So that we can believe the truth that Jesus saves sinners from their sin. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the only one that can do this. He is the only Messiah. Not only for the Jews, but also for us. And so my question is, is can you hear him today? Have your ears been unstopped? Has your mouth been opened to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ? Is this your story? As Isaiah says, the ears of the deaf are unstopped. The tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is a promise. This is going to happen. 
This is happening here, and this will happen, and this will perfectly happen as well when Jesus returns. And so, is that your story? Has your ears been opened? Has your mouth been opened? Has your eyes been opened to the truth? Do you believe the gospel? It can be the truth for you today. If you stop what you're doing, if you stop fooling around with your sin, if you plead for mercy, if you confess your need of healing of your sin-sick heart, ask the Lord to open your ears. Ask him to open your mouth. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Friends, deaf ears need to hear. Deaf ears will hear. But are those your ears? And so as Jesus opens man's ears, he also opens man's mouth. We've seen that clearly. So looking back at verse 35, we see that his tongue was released. We see that he spoke plainly. And then verse 36 says, And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Silent mouths will proclaim. So the healing of this man's speech impediment leads others to open their own mouths. They couldn't contain this amazing news. What would you do if your brother or your sister or your friend was just healed miraculously of cancer before your eyes? You would tell the world. You'd be on Twitter. You'd be texting. You'd be on Instagram. You'd be telling the world all about this story. You'd want everyone to know how awesome this is. How much more would this healed man and the bystanders proclaim such awesome news from this instant and complete miracle that happened before their eyes? Even as Jesus tells these guys to tell no one, what do they do? They tell everyone. So the fact that Jesus was telling them not to tell anybody is because it wasn't Jesus' time yet to die, right? The whole story of the gospel still needs to unfold. He still needs to go to the cross. He still needs to suffer the agony. He still needs to die, and he still needs to be raised from the grave. The whole gospel has not yet been revealed. And the Pharisees and the scribes are always on his tail. So the more the news gets out, the more they are after him. And it's not his time but the more that he charged these people, the more zealously they proclaimed it. The crowds didn't understand this. The text says that they were astonished, astonished beyond measure. As you think of your own salvation, remember that it was miraculous that you were ever saved. Are you still astonished at what the Lord has done for you? This word astonished in the Greek means really to have your mind blown, to be awestruck, awestruck at the love and the mercy of God to save sinners like us. Do you remember what you've been saved from? 
You've been saved from a defiled territory, a defiled life, and a never-ending life of destruction. You've been saved from yourself. You know, sometimes we can grow apathetic to our own salvation. We can take it for granted. We can forget how glorious our salvation is. Is this you at times? Is this me? Are you sometimes tired of your faith? Does it not excite you anymore? When you see your Bible on your nightstand, and are you reluctant to, to read it and to understand it? As you open it and you flip the pages, does it just kind of seem empty to you? Is God's word not a delight anymore? How about your prayer life? Is it stale? Is it empty? Do you feel like nobody's listening? Do you feel like you're just rehearsing things sometimes? Do you feel like your heart is, is far from what you're saying in your prayers? And maybe you get to a place where you're like, why even pray? How about when it comes to connecting and fellowship with God's people? Does it sound like too much work, too much effort, too much time out of my life? I'd rather be at home by myself I don't have room in my life for others. Maybe you're so overwhelmed by life with stress and anxiety that you, you can't see past your own situation. You're all consumed with yourself. Your motivation is sapped. Your desire is numb. And all you want to do is crawl under your covers and disappear. Have you lost the joy of your salvation? Have you lost the joy of your Savior? If this is you, there, there is hope. There is so much hope. There is always a way back. And the way back always comes through remembering. It comes back to having your mind blown again by who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. The way back is beholding his glory again and understanding the beauty of who he is and what he has done. When you're at your lowest, you need to remember who's highest. When you're at your darkest, you need to remember who is light. Jesus is the light to the Gentiles. Jesus is the light that sought you out in your spiritual depravity. When you feel numb, you need to remember the pain that he felt for you. As he groaned in anguish, on a cross, bleeding to death. When you are hopeless, you need to remember that he is the hope of the world. When you feel lost, you need to remember that he came and sought you out and found you. You weren't looking for him. He found you. You need to remember that as he found you, he took you aside and he personally spoke salvation into your life. He opened your ears. He opened your eyes. He opened your mouth. Friends, we need to hear this all the time. We need to hear the gospel every day. The gospel isn't just for the lost. The gospel is for Christians every day because we can get ourselves in a funk. And we need to be reminding ourselves. That's why God has given us one another. Because sometimes we can't even preach the gospel to ourselves. Sometimes we're so lost, we're so down. We need others to come alongside of us 
That's why he's given you to each other, to be in each other's lives, preaching the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ to one another. We need to be preaching this to ourselves every day. We need to hear it from each other. We need to be astonished again. Because the good news is just that good. It's just that good. We need to be astonished. We need to be amazed. We need to be in awe of our Savior yet again. And we need to proclaim this out of our mouths to each other and to the bystanders and to everybody in the world that he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf ear and the mute speak. I love the focus there. It's not just the focus of my salvation. The focus is on the Savior. He has done all things well. It's Christ-centered. He has done all things well. He is the one that receives all the glory. He is the one that is due all of my worship. He is the Lord of the universe. He is everything. And in our astonishment, the world needs to hear this astonishing news. How can we keep the greatest news to ourselves? We need to share it with the world. That the Messiah has come. He's their Messiah. He has come to open ears. He has come to open mouths. He has come so that we can proclaim how good he is. That's what he's about. He has created you to be a worshiper. He has created the world to be worshipers of him. But they can't come to worship if we don't go to them with the good news. So as much as we preach the good news to ourselves every day, let that be the motivation. He is not receiving from the world the worship that is due his name. So out of love for the lost, out of obedience to what he's called us to, but also out of jealousy for the worship that is not going to his name, May that motivate our feet all the more. And may we behold these promises that we're seeing as Isaiah 35 is being referenced here in Mark. That the lost worshipers will be found. Deaf ears will hear. And silent mouths will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, your plan has always been to save a people unto yourself for your namesake. Lord, we thank you that we as, as your church, we as your people who have been purchased by your blood are found inside of that promise. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in that, Lord, that we have been sought out by you, that you have taken us aside, that you have spoke salvation to us, that you have opened our ears, that you have opened our mouths. Lord, we thank you because this is by your grace alone. We couldn't have done this. Lord, we thank you that, that you are a God who saves, but we thank you also that you are a God. And we understand, Lord, that the way that you save is through people. You save others through us as we go, as we're motivated as we're motivated by your grace, by your gospel, as we see it clearly in your word, as we're motivated by love for others, love for the lost, also as we're motivated by the worship that needs to be directed to you. Lord, as we look out on this world, 
we see millions of people worshiping created things, worshiping creatures, worshiping things that are not you. Lord, you are God, and you are God alone, and you are the only way, and your only way is to send us to them. So as we go this week, may we be preaching the gospel to ourselves. May we be preaching the gospel to each other. And may we be preaching the gospel to the world. Lord, we want to be astonished. We want to be amazed. Would you, by your spirit, by your word, produce awe in our souls about who Jesus is, that it just overflows. It just, we can't contain it, Lord. That's what we want. We want it just to be, this is just our life, that it just overflows to the world. This is what we're all about. Lord, only you can do that in us. And so we pray, and the strength of your spirit, would you do that in us? And would your word be at work, being living and active inside of our hearts? And that you would get all the glory, all of the worship, all of the fame that is due your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.